shall we bow in prayer. <clears throat> Wonderful Father, we thank thee for the access to thee through prayer. One has wisely said that prayer is the breathing of the soul. How we thank thee that we can come to thee and need not be afraid, need not be ashamed, but very openly and as the scripture says, boldly approach thy throne of grace. Continue with us as we search the gems of wisdom out of thy living word. Grant that each of us might be strengthened thereby because we have need of that strengthening, O Lord. And now we pray a special blessing upon everyone that's gathered here, those who perhaps are ill and cannot be here, and the many that are traveled from us, Lord, in distant places. Provide for them a blessing where they are, the pleasure of being a blessing in thy name, and a safe return to us again. We thank thee for the blessing we shall receive through Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. shared with me that the subject of his meditation was prayer and the power of prayer. And while I will not choose to reread the scriptures that he read, I believe the impression, the conviction, the revelation that we had in Bible class is very akin to prayer and it's relationship to God, our relationship to God through prayer. And a brother read a couple of verses in Bible class that I believe are very much in keeping with the entire theme. I did not hear everything that the brother said, but I believe that the Lord will lead us further in the trusting relationship between the creature whom God made and the creator. When that relationship becomes as intimate and as close as it is between the God of heaven and the saints whose prayers are considered in Revelation. But it describes also the necessity for a particular preparedness on the part of those people and an attitude on the part of those people. And I would like to continue out of Proverbs chapter 3, and I truly believe that God will bind these two thoughts together very closely. I want to read the first 10 verses of Proverbs 3. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. 
trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths be not wise in thine own eyes fear the Lord and depart from evil it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase so shalt thine barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine may I also read just a few verses and bear with me I think they are in Matthew 6 and if I am wrong I'll have to do a little bit of searching yes Matthew 6 dear where shall I begin verse 25 on please <clears throat> therefore I say unto you take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink nor yet for your body what ye shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment behold the fowls of the air for they sow not neither do they reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feedeth them are ye not much more than they, much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof and I just thought of one more verse that I think is found in in Timothy first Timothy 6 6 but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now, loved ones, what does all of, do all of these verses have to do with the prayers of the saints that we talked about Thursday evening and that Brother Roger alluded to this morning? The answer to that is very much because the, the attitude of humankind in which they approach God and their relationship to him is directly reflected back again in their own personal lives. We talked about Abraham, Abram. His name was not yet changed in our lesson series, but Abram, who was a man, the Bible says, of faith. A man who trusted in God. A man who sometimes 
his peers probably would have said, made some ridiculous choices or in fact abdicated his own uh, power of choice in deference to uh, someone, his nephew in, in one particular case, who obviously made a better choice, humanly speaking. And as we contemplated that, my mind went into Proverbs and a brother suggested that, in fact, he read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, I think. Is it possible that humankind can live in an attitude of total dependence upon a being that cannot be seen, uh, is not physically evidenced? It not only is possible, dear ones, but I, it's, it's my prayer this morning that somehow we might project to those who do not have that kind of a relationship right now, the fact that there just is no other way to live in this present world. I, and I, I, right now, I have the, the, the sinking feeling that, that the right words may not be found to share that as profoundly as I, as I feel it in my soul. First of all, I want to say to you that it is not easy for me to live in that trusting pattern that Abraham did and that the verses that we have shared together indicate man ought. And I want to say that, that the, dare I use the word philosophy just, just as a as, as, as a matter of measurement here, that the philosophy of Proverbs 3 and the philosophy of Matthew 6 and the philosophy of 1 Timothy 6.6 6 are inseparable partners. And I use the word philosophy only as in, in, in the sense of a concept, perhaps, that someone might embrace for their own lives. What is implied here is not that mankind ought to abdicate his responsibility to himself, to his family, to his fellows, and to the world. I believe we have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility to all of those entities. And, and I think that the idea of persons who are able, capable people to be on welfare is sinful. The Bible says it is. And so what we're not talking about here is a welfare mentality when we talk about trusting and not worrying about what we're going to eat or what we're going to put on or that sort of thing. We're talking about a way of life, dear ones, that is ingrained in the lives of those people who have learned to know and to trust God as fully as Abram did. And I want to say to you, I'm still learning that, I hope. I've not arrived either. And, one, and, and I want to make a confession to you. The reason Proverbs 3 impacted me so much this morning is that when I woke up this morning, the first thing that entered my mind was a concern for long-range uh, well-being, physical well-being. 
And I was ashamed of that. Concerned about young families, two young families in my household that are just starting out. I'm, I was concerned about that. I look at the world around about me and I, I look at all the variables that, that society has never faced before. Energy shortages, capital shortages for industry to expand, skill shortages that are frightening. There is no way in the world that if this country were confronted by any nation that we have the technological expertise to wage a long-term war. We don't have the skills to do that. In fact, I was told about two months ago that all the machinery that is in the government arsenals is decrepit to the extent that it cannot be used and there is not the expertise in this country to ready it in any reasonable length of time. We don't have the technicians. And they're not coming over on the boats like they used to. And, you know, having knowledge of all of these things causes me some real concern about the future. Those of us who were, and I think we're in the vast majority here, and I'm, I'm looking in the faces of, of, of people just like me that, that, that have that, that good old German ethic in, in you. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you work and you earn your, 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 your living. That's good. That's wholesome. That's the way it ought to be. I can remember once working for a, a, the first time for someone else and how my dad was a little bit concerned about that. Not that, that we hadn't worked hard for him. We had. My youngsters still, still can't understand how a 13-year-old lad could break a pitchfork handle digging manure out from under the feet of cows. But that's not the point. When we were now working for somebody else, he said, I'm gonna tell you a story, and he told the story, and the essence of it, I don't want to tell the story, but the essence of it was, those that succeed in the world are those who do just a little bit more than their job requires. And I still believe that. And I've taught my son, or I've told my sons that, their bosses probably will tell me how well they were taught. But I've told my sons that, and my daughter. But beloved, there yet comes a point where that same ethic can be very destructive in terms of our realization how much of our lives really are in our own hands and how much of our own success or failure is really a result of how much we apply our physical selves and our mental capacities. It is too easy for me to lean on my own understanding. And I probably even have a very exaggerated opinion of how much I understand. But the point is, if we can come into that aura of, of, of ecstasy that Abraham obviously had when, when he simply said to Lot, his nephew, he said, look, let's not strive anymore. We're, we're brethren. It isn't even right that, that our herdsmen strive. Choose for yourself a direction that you want to go in, and I'll go the other way. Why did Abram say that? Because he was foolish? Because he was stupid? 
because he couldn't see? No, dear ones, because he trusted in God who said, Go, and I will bless you. And Abraham realized that the blessings of God were not contingent upon greener pastures and a lush Jordan Valley. My dear ones, God's blessings are not directly resulting from the efforts, the, the physical efforts of man. And believe me when I say, I, I believe that we should labor and we should work and we should put our intellect to work, but we should not trust in that. We should expect God to bless that as he chooses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. There are many variables in my life right now, too. A lot of unlighted and unknown future. Life is full of transitions. And every, every transition is lovely in its own sense, and every transition brings with it blessings in its own right, and every transition brings with it concerns, too. And how do you deal with all of those things? With your own understanding? Certainly not. My own understanding is, is probably on a minus scale in terms of, of the supposedly good understanding of the intellectuals and the experts in the world. And yet I propose to you they are failing miserably in conquering the world's problems with all of their intellect. What is the answer? How many times have you heard me say, and others say, that, that it's, heaven is a wonderful thing, and eternal life, that gift of God for trusting him and, and being born again, is wonderful. But I'll tell you something. Eternal life might be 20 years or 20 days off for me. No, heaven might be 20 days or 20 years off for me. And those 20 years might be a long stretch, and they may be a difficult stretch. And yet I believe that Christianity has today to offer to mankind this relationship that we talked about here this morning that is really sellable on today's marketplace of confusion and deceit and despair and reversals and what have you. What is it in the life of someone that can allow them to be as simplistic as all of these verses that we read together, loved ones. First of all, faith. Unfailing faith. Not in themselves, but in one who cares for them and about them more than they can care for themselves. Dear ones, that's a truth that, that for some reason tries to elude me as the devil tempts me with worries and concerns and applications of self and what I might be able to do or what I may, might be able to know to a particular problem. God expects us to do that, I think, but he expects us to know when we are past the realm of that being the answer to the total problem that confronts us. God doesn't expect me to sit on my front porch and watch the world go by. God expects me to apply myself to the world that is uh, going down my street and that goes wherever I go into the world, but God expects me to trust him to provide everything that I need 
And there comes the second problem. Sometimes in my life, failing to analyze rightly what is my need and my want. And, and make no mistake about it, that, that does not only need to mean material things either. That does not only mean that, that, that one can become a materialist. That may mean also in, sense, in, in, in terms of satisfying one's ego, of satisfying one's need to be needed or whatever. Loved ones, can we not this morning see that the best position we can place ourselves in is in that position of faith and total trust? And then let us work. Let us labor. Let us apply ourselves. God wants us to. Let us remember that when that labor then and that application then is in terms of complete trust, then it is no longer I that labor or apply myself, but he that is using me. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Young people, I, I see young people here whose lives are being all put together. Uh, Career-wise, many different aspects of their life. I want to say to you, if, if the Lord isn't your counselor, if the Lord isn't your uh, master, if the Lord isn't, isn't directing you, I feel sorry for you. You say, well, how can he? Well, maybe the answer is, until he owns your heart, he can't. But the answer also is, when he does own your heart, he not only can, but he will. And Brother Fritz and I used to many times talk about the value of being born again when we were young. It had its difficulties too. We had to, to do a lot of maturing, but, but oh, how blessed it is to look back and, and, and loved ones, I wanna lay the, the, the spiritual completely aside right now and talk about only my temporal existence. I believe that the, the trade that I chose was, was by direct inspiration of God. I believe that every job I had was by direct leading of God's Holy Spirit. You know why I know that? Because I can look at, at, at a career path, and everybody talks about career paths today, I do too, to kids in school, about a career path that is one of the most perfectly laid foundations for a life that I have ever seen. And I, I don't say that boastfully, I say that humbly, because there were some jobs that I left and changed only because I believe God wanted me to. I remember taking one job that I was sure I would hate for only one reason. And I want to say to you very, very boldly and very humbly that the job meant $2,500 a year less. Back in the days when that was a lot of money and babies were being born, and a house was being refurbished. What, what was it? I was compelled to take that job because it kept me away from my family too much, and it kept me away from church Thursday nights and choir Tuesday nights. It was a second shift job. And I want to say to you, loved ones, that the job that I took, that I not only learned to like very much, but spent nine years in, was the one job that prepared me forever. I, 
for whatever I might have contributed to industry at this point, more so than the first one. You know, I certainly didn't do that. Had I trusted to my own understanding, you know what that answer would have been. My dear ones, I have my, my valise, my portfolio full of times when I did trust to my own understanding and the results were very human. Loved ones, there is nothing that God not only can, but will not do for us if we trust him in that simplistic way that Abram did and, and that Proverbs indicates does and that obviously was the case in those believers' lives whose prayers were, were the, the, the sweet odor, sweet-smelling odor that we read about in Revelation. Loved ones, those kinds of prayers are an evidence of a life of trust they trusted God so much that when, their, when their, their lips were silent and they could not pray any longer, God kept those prayers to apply the power of them at a more proper time in the future. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Oh, they say the best business deal in the world is to sell a man for what he's worth, to buy a man for what he's worth and sell him. For, no, yes, and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. Let me say that again. The best business deal in the world is to buy someone for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. Fortunately, there aren't many takers for a deal like that. Now, what does it mean to be wise in our own eyes? I don't think necessarily that that means to be a wise guy. I think that means precisely the opposite of what verse 5 said about trusting in the Lord. If if, loved ones, if in fact we are willing to lay aside the direction of God's Holy Spirit in our lives and apply rather the logic that we may have come up with after we've spent hours and we hours thinking about it, we are in fact being wise in our own eyes and we're fools in reality. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. If man could know, really know, how fully punitive are his efforts, how, how fully capable many variables are to change his best efforts, I believe man would see the value, greater value of these verses that we have read together. The one thing that I have enjoyed about working for an industry or for a business was that you, your efforts, to a large degree, were more or less plus or minus based upon certainly God's blessing, but also your own perspective, your own long-range projections, and your own management by objective. I'm in a realm today where that has very little to do with success or failure, and it's, it's a disgusting thing to see efforts put forth uh, that are either canceled out or erased because of political reasons or uh, because someone else has the last word who is so far removed from the problem. That's government, unfortunately. And yet even the man who labors in a business and puts all his best 
forward is still directly dependent upon the blessing of God. And I think there come times in everyone's life, my own too, frequently my own, when lessons need to be learned to teach us again the right outlook on life and the right perspective about it all. Let's remember, God has, first of all, our spiritual good in mind. And yet God has also promised that if we put that first, his kingdom and its righteousness first, everything else will be added unto us. And I believe God will bless our efforts. And I believe we will know from where our help came and it will make us to be very small in our own eyes like we ought always to be. I think it's right to tell our children to express themselves. I think it's right to tell them to reach beyond their grasp. I think it's right for us to say to them that they have something to give to God and to the world and that they owe that to God and to the world, that lives are not lived just to consume upon themselves and eternity is not meant for just one person to find it. But in all of that, in all of that application, in all of that zeal, in all of that endeavor and the excitement that goes with it, ought to always be that underlying basic truth that it is not he that waters, nor he that plants, but it's God who gives the increase. And I think that's as true temporally as it is spiritually. And the Spirit was speaking this morning to yours truly. And I pray only that he might accept it as childlike as he hopes someone else might receive it also this morning.